0: This is Gridiron Graduates, a weekly podcast covering all things football. Episode number 71 Waiting for Berlinda. Recorded May 10th, 2017. What's going on, guys? No said lower setting of Se- the Gridiron Graduates hitting you guys back up. Uh, re recording here, because unfortunately this is uh, the second take, because. I was a dope and didn't get the first recording, so we're going to try this again. Uh, this time, it's just me, um, as far as the two of us, but, of course, we got the great Mark Schofield joining us to try this all again. Mark, welcome back, man. Um, yeah, it was a fun time talking with you the first time. Now, I'll actually try to get this out to the public.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear you, bud. Um, stuff like that happens all the time, man, so i more than understand, and, you know, happy to come back on and chat with you, and hopefully uh cover everything we covered um in the version that didn't get out to the public. But yeah, man, stuff happened, so I'm more than happy to come on back. Nah, absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Um
0: we got prices right going on, so it's, it's a good time. We're talking football and we're watching I'm watching Prices Right. So you know, there you go. It's a good day right now. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, um you know we will we'll try to cover a lot of things that uh we talked about in the first go around so um yeah, I'm trying to remember offhand some of the things. I I know you and Ian kind of talked about how you were kind of different. You, you kind of started to talk about, like, the top four quarterbacks that were drafted and, um, you know, how you kind of came about evaluating them and getting your rankings and then how similar you were in, like, the middle tier. So we kind of got into the discussion a little bit on just kind of evaluating. Was it was a very, like – like kind of a, a good range as far as evaluating quarterbacks and whatnot. So um, I guess just kind of rehash what your thoughts were on the top four and then kind of going through some of the quarterbacks in general and just you know, sort of the overall
1: thoughts on the draft class and where they landed. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, this was a really fun class to evaluate from the quarterback position because, you know, a lot of years, everybody pretty much – you know, has a good sense of who QB1 is or who QB1 and 2 are, um, and there's not really a ton of divergence when it comes to opinions. I mean, last year, you know, you had Goff and Wentz, and most people were, you know, pretty sold on those two guys being 1 and 2 in some order. Um, some people sort of had Paxton Lynch up in that mix, um, you know, but those were basically the top two guys year before that, obviously, you had Mariota and Winston. Um, People may have differed on who was one, who was two. I was a Mariota guy. Other people were Winston people. But, you know, you could see an argument for either guy. This year was different in the sense that you had really sort of the the big four, um, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, um, Deshaun Kaiser, and then Mitchell Trubisky. And you can make a case – um, for any one of those guys really being QB1. I mean, you could ask five different evaluators, you get five different answers on who, who, who QB1 is. You could ask 10 different evaluators to rank those guys, you'd get 10 different rankings, perhaps. Um So you could really see sort of a case on either of these guys in any sort of order. And what was interesting about it was it really gave you sort of a window into how the individual evaluator sort of evaluates the quarterback position. What are the traits that they look for? What are the traits that they sort of – um maybe value more, you know, one over the other or, you know, three or four different traits that they sort of evaluate and value over some other ones. You know, if you're a non-structure type of guy, if you're a guy that likes to see people make plays from the pocket, maybe you're a Kaiser guy. If you're somebody that likes more of the gun slinger, um guys that can make throws off platform, off structure, do things like that. Maybe you're a Mahomes guy. You know, and, and so it was an interesting sort of class to evaluate from that perspective. And, you know, there are really no raw answers to it, particularly right now, because we don't know how it's all going to shake out. We're starting to get a sense of where these guys are going to fit into their new teams and we can sort of talk into what we expect from a scheme fit perspective. But, you know, on the outside looking in, there's no really raw answers right now. And for me, you know, I was a Watson guy dating back for a couple of years. And certainly there were times when you know, if I was on sort of that Watson highway, there were some off-ramps that were offered to me, the 17 interceptions, um, the 49-mile-per-hour velocity number that really came out of the combine, but, you know, I just kept coming back to his tape and what he was able to do in the past couple of years at Clemson, and, you know, really liked what he did from a number of traits that you evaluate at the quarterback position. You know, Mahomes, for me, was sort of my number two, um, a guy that, you know, I think the raw talent is undeniable. It's just a matter of, can he refine the things that he needs to refine from a footwork and mechanics perspective to sort of become the quarterback that he can become? And I think he can. And where he landed in Kansas City to be able to work with um, Andy Reid, a perfect landing spot, I think. Then we get to Kaiser, who was a guy that I think had QB1 traits and some QB1 tape out there, specifically getting back to 2015. Some of his tape back then was, you know, among the best that we've seen in the class. But – you know, Notre Dame had a down year last year. They finished four and eight, and he was partly responsible for that. And certainly there were questions about his relationship with Brian Kelly. Kelly himself came out and said he didn't think it was ready to go to the NFL, and that he did make the trip to Philadelphia for the draft to support his former player. But that raised some questions. Uh, but for me, the issues with Kaiser were twofold. One was mechanical, um, there was some lower body. Uh, misalignment at times. He would open up his left hip, hip a little bit early. It would cause him to be more of an arm throw or he would lose velocity and it would impact his accuracy. And then there was a decision-making issue as well where there were times, even dating back to 2015 and some of the good tapes that he had, where you'd see receivers that were open and you know he was looking there. He'd get the right coverage and he wouldn't pull the trigger and you just had to wonder why. Was it was it a lack of confidence? Was it a fear of making a mistake? Was it a fear of what would happen if he made a mistake when he got back to the sideline and saw Brian Kelly? So those were some of the issues I had with him. And finally we get to Trubisky, who was the first quarterback off the board, and that didn't really surprise me. But, you know, Mitchell Trubisky wasn't really a guy that I ever really bought into. Um, I I still can understand why he was the first quarterback taken, and I had him sort of as a late first-round type guy because of the sort of developmental arc to him. and You see the upside. But I had some questions with him as well from a decision-making standpoint. You know, sometimes we saw some simplified read-start structures on, like, stick concept nine eight nine concepts that are sort of some basic reads you know when the post snap looked at a matchup with what, what he expected pre-snap there would tend to be sometimes when he'd freeze when he'd hesitate when he would pull the football down rather than just working through his progressions and working the play um, and he also had a bit of a mechanic issue as well sometimes he would step in the bucket um, it would cause him throws particularly on the boundary or deeper crossing routes to kind of get off market off target so those were the issues i had you know him and you know to Kaiser to an extent, but you know, that's kind of how I shake out the the top four. Uh, what was interesting talking with Ian um, when we did this the last time was you know, he and I were very different on the top four, but after that, I mean, we had basically five through nine in the same exact order. I mean, you know, we had um, Brad Kai is QB5, Nathan Peterman QB6, uh, Davis Webb QB7, Jared Evans QB8, and Josh Dobbs QB9. I mean, we were right in line with um, those that sort of next tier like you said bill so you know that's kind of where i was on this group um obviously it didn't speak out the way i had them ranked but it rarely does because teams and their fits and what they see is different from what we see on the outside but you know that was kind of my general thoughts on this qb class. like i said it was a fun one to evaluate
0: yeah it really was and you know i i think for me i was just kind of personally surprised that some of the trades obviously that happened um you know certainly the chicago move first uh, certainly didn't expect that. I mean, I know initially watching the draft, I thought Solomon Thomas was going to be the guy that they traded up for, but I guess looking back, you can kind of understand, especially the price they paid to move up for him. Um, at first, I thought San Francisco swindled them, but you know, I guess at times you got to do what you got to do, and then you know, Kansas City making a big jump up, but yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a really good spot for Mahomes in Kansas City to kind of sit and learn from Reed, kind of watch Alex Smith, and then you know, some people call him the anti-Alex Smith, um, Deshaun Watson, and we'll kind of touch on him a little bit more in a bit. Um, I like him in Houston. I think that that'll be fun to watch. And in Kaiser, um, landing in Houston there's, or excuse me, in uh, Cleveland, especially where they took him, and you know we kind of touched on this before too. There's not going to be much pressure now on Kaiser because he was a mid-second round pick. He doesn't have to come in right away and be the starter. They've already said Kessler is going to be the guy right now. So it'll be interesting to watch that play out. Um, but one of the things I want to rehash from last time that I thought was interesting, we, we talked a bit about Deshaun Watson, and you, you also brought up um, not just watching film, but the order of the games in which you watch them, or like which one you choose to watch first. Because you mentioned how... Watson had the 17 interceptions. He also said he liked kind of how he learned from some of those interceptions and didn't make as many mistakes as the season kind of wore on. So kind of uh, break that down a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. And, you know, at the outset, you know, as we sort of got into, you know, I, I'd say the early draft season, sort of like January around the Cena Bowl and times like that, there was a lot of discussion about Watson's 17 interceptions and how, you know, turning the ball over that frequently in the collegiate level is sort of a hallmark of, you know, a full board and a foreshadowing of things to come when you move to the NFL. And I kind of disagreed with that to an extent. And so what I did was I went through and I watched all 17 and there's a video that you can find on our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash inside the pylon. Um, you can find it on the site as well. Or you can just like search my Twitter feed and find it. But I went through and I, like I said, I broke all of them down I put together a video. It's about a 28-minute video where I take you through each interception that Watson threw this past year, all 17 of them, and really what I found was there were trends, but there weren't a lot of repeated mistakes, and the trends that I really sort of identified, there were twofold. One, issues on the boundary, when defenses could sort of decamp into making mistakes, when particularly on, they'd show him like a weak side cornerback blitz, where that cornerback on the outside, on the peripheral, on the boundary is going to show a blitz and then back off at the last second, and he thinks that blitz is coming. Uh, so he tries to throw sort of a side adjust a hot route to that area of the field that he thinks is now vacated, but the defender sort the of back pedals and kind of gets right in line of the throw and makes an easy interception. So that was one. You know, and in other ways, you know, Motlet, you know, there are some you know interceptions on I mean, basic smash route concepts. Um, we've got a guy on a corner route or a deep out route, and then somebody either on a flat or on a curl or on a hitch. Uh, was sort of a you know basic sort of design concept. A lot of teams do it because really sets up a high low situation on that. Boundary defender to the outside, um, so he threw a couple of interceptions, interceptions on that kind of look. I counted four of them, but each time he got a different look from the defense. You know whether it was you know a different rolled coverage, or one time you know a receiver kind of fell down. You know at the time the the corner from Florida State you know made a great play. He you know flashed down on the hitch route, read Watson's eyes. Watson had the you know the throwing lane. They didn't want to throw that corner up, but at the last second he sort of peeled off. Um, To make the play, you know, coming off of his responsibility in the flat to cut underneath that deeper route. Um, so, what that kind of taught me was look, you know, their defenses are having to do some different things to sort of make him make mistakes or sort of get him to throw interceptions or turn the football over. It's not like, you know, every time he threw an interception on Smash was just because, you know, they were in cover six or, you know, every time he threw an interception on Smash was they were mad at He just read the wrong guy or. You know, he made the wrong read or something like that. They had to do different things to to get him to make these mistakes. And and so, you know, that's something I kind of took from it. You know, another thing in terms of learning from mistakes is going back to that sort of weak side blitz look for a second he saw that three different times from Florida state. And, you know, if people have sort of reservations about Watson and his ability to play the quarterback position, I'd invite you to throw on that Florida state game. Cause I think, you know, you could watch that game and come away from him. You know, with a good understanding of who he is as a quarterback, I'd say the same thing for the national championship game, but that Florida state really sort of started, stood out to me. And part of the reason was, like I said, that weak side quarterback blitz. Look, he saw it in the first quarter. The blitz actually came. He threw the side adjustment, um, you know, easy gain of eight, easy pitch and catch, move the change, great play. See that later in the game, and that's when they actually bait him into the mistake, because they show him the blitz, the guy doesn't come, Watson sees it at the last second, expects to have the easy throw, the guy peels back, then he just tries to float it over his head, and he throws a really bad pick. Okay, fine. You see him coming off the sideline, off the field to the sideline, he's patting his chest, you know. He knows he made a mistake. He knows he missed that. Come back later in the game. It's a one-score game. They're in the red zone, and they see the same exact look. This time, again, no blitz. Cornerback peels back. He sees it, moves through the rest of his, his progressions, checks his second reads, Renfro in the flat, sees him double-covered, makes a throw late down the middle of the field on a post route, gets to his third read in the progression, makes a great play, sets him up first and goal in a one-score game where they were trailing, and then he needed to play. Uh, so that really kind of stood out to, you know, what he can do, how he learns and develops, even through the course of one game, how he learns from some mistakes.
0: Good stuff. Um, real good break that I think the listeners will definitely get a nice feel for that. Um, talk about now too, like I said, going back to when we're watching film, how... Picking and choosing certain games can kind of alter the way you think of a, of a player. You know, if you pick, like, his two bad games first, you may get, like, a poor read on game, Or If you pick his two best games first, um, to kind of explain how, you know, like we were talking about before, how the order of what games you watch on film kind of give you a better sense of what the quarterback actually is on the field.
1: Yeah, you know, that it's a, something to keep in mind. Like, you know, I try to watch as many games as I can on these guys. I know some people, like, you know, try to get you, some, you know three or four games in, and that's fine, whatever your process is. But, you know, try to watch, you know, sort of a, a different array of games. If you watch, like, three to four games on a player, watch a game at home. Watch a game on the road. Watch a game against stiff competition. Watch a game against lower level competition because you know in situations against lower level competition, you want to see if the player like still plays to the level that he's capable capable of, or doesn't play, you know, to the lower level of competition, doesn't play on par with them. You want to see them, you know, sort of dominate against lower level competition. It's like you know when you're studying, say, for example, a Carson Wentz, or you know, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, there was a Division three, you know, lineman. I forget. He's, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he get you know drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, I that. Guy. Yeah. When you get worried about sort of level of competition, still watch those guys and just see if you know they're going to be heads and shoulders better than the guys around them. Because if they're dominating lower level competition, you know that it's not a situation where they're going to just like play to the level of the people around them who they're going up against. And so I think. You know, it's sort of important to watch a couple of different situations. Quarterback, sometimes you want to watch them in elements. Maybe you don't put a ton of stock into, you know, what what their numbers were. Say, like, Mitchell Trubisky played in, you know, a hurricane this year. A lot of people, like, looked at that game and try to draw something away from it. You want to just see, can he try to fight through those situations, but maybe don't put a ton of stock into his numbers to see how he handles the situation. Because, again, the mental component is a huge part of playing the quarterback position. I mean, you know, I'm already doing 2018 work, and I just got done writing a piece on a guy, Matt Lenehan, quarterback for the University of Idaho, who I think, you know, it's kind of a, you know, click lady-ish headline in a sense, but I think he might be maybe the next C.J. Beathard. And what I mean by that is a guy that comes from pro-style offense. I mean, when I was watching Linehan, I saw, you know, I, I literally started taking notes. I have, I mean, I'm a guy that writes it by hand, and I literally wrote down, he's running New England's offense. And I took a step back and started looking through, you know, the coach staff and the history of the coaches at Idaho, and it turns out that their offensive coordinator, he played with Bobby Petrino, um, Coached under him, Petrino is an Ern Perkins guy. He sort of ran that system and coached that system when he was in Jacksonville, um, in the mid 2000s. And so that's kind of the offense that they're running. And so you see a guy like Linehan that, you know, runs sort of pro style stuff. You know, obviously has a coaching lineage, kind of like Beathard in the sense that you know Bethard's grandfather was Bobby Beathard, the general manager. Linehan's you know, father is Scott Linehan, offense winning for the. Dallas Cowboys, and so, you know, but when I was studying Linehan and getting ready for that piece and putting that together, watched his bowl game against Colorado State, that was in freezing rain and ice, and he put in great numbers in that game, but you see a guy that can plan those elements, you can learn from that, and to kind of come back to, you know, the rest of the question here, the order in which you do watch games, you try not to let it affect you, because for example, Mitchell Trubisky, his first start was against Georgia, and there were times where, you know, I, I actually watch that game in the midst of the process um, I, I didn't get a chance to look at that until you know after I'd already seen a couple of games on him had I watched that game first bill I might have walked away thinking this guy was an undraftable quarterback prospect because he was very raw at that point and you know simple concepts a lot of you know comeback routes along the boundary where he really needed to see it and be Confident that it was open before pulling the trigger rather than crushing you know, <laughs> the up concept in his receivers and making that anticipation. You know, there was a to that game against Georgia. Again, it was his first start that left me a little wary about his ability to play quarterback. But had I watched that first, I might have walked away or really had my sort of impression of him spoiled going forward. And then, you know, uh, it would have been tough in my mind to sort of overcome that. And so when you're watching guys, you know, the main sort of trait that you know, I'm not sure, but really, you know, mantra that you that I kind of go by. Um, this is something that was drilled into my head by Dan Hapman or the Scoutard Academy uh, program that I took um, doing the quarterback module and learned a ton from. Him was you know, find out what these guys can do. You know, it's easy to just sort of crush a guy. It's easy to just sit there and say he can't do this, he can't do that. Find out what he can do. So start from there. Like when you start watching player, like find out what he can do. And then sort of expand your evaluation process to maybe the areas that he needs to improve. Because if you start from the outset crushing a guy, or if you you watch his bad game first and sort of have that mentality, you know, you might never get to what he can do because your sort of opinion and your evaluation and how you're approaching this guy might sort of be clouded in a way. And so that's kind of how I go around it. And, you know, there's really no sort of perfect system. If there were a perfect system – you know, teams wouldn't miss all these guys. They have more information than we do on the outside, Watch them just on tape. They get to meet with them. They get to talk with their coaches, their high school coaches. They get to sit down with them. They get to take them out to dinner and see if they use the right forks when they eat their salad. We don't get that. You know, we don't get to do whiteboard sessions. them. We're doing this all from the outside. And they get it wrong. And they have tenfold the information that we do. And so, I, you know, the main point is just kind of, you know, work your process the best you can. Um, try not out to formulate opinions early and, you know, try to expose yourself to as many different situations that they were exposed to to try to get the full picture on these guys. Yeah, and I'll I'll say, too,
0: like, you know, the Scouting Academy is fantastic. Dan Hatton who we've had on the show before, uh, the Academy is fantastic. I was there for first semester, actually. Uh, wanted to get back into it eventually. I know they've really grown uh, since that first year in 2000. 14, I believe it was. Um, and I know they've like a lot more, a lot more people involved with it as far as like uh, teachers and instructors. So, uh-huh. and you're right. You know, that was one of the big things that he, he preaches to us: is what can the player, what can he do? You know, and you're kind of built from there. Um, and that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, it, it's kind of the two things, one, but they kind of tie it together. Um, so when you're looking at these quarterbacks, or really I guess you know, this kind of goes for any player too, but mostly quarterbacks, when you're watching a player, when it comes to you know, after you look at what he can do, when you look at what he needs work on, like how do you determine what a player needs work on, uh, what can be developed, how it can be developed, things like that, and then you know, kinda of talk about like the article we pushed the other day that you were reading a couple months ago about how uh, development isn't linear. You know, I looked through that article and I, even when I messaged you, I thought it was really good how you kind of compared it to just the life situation. You know, just yeah. you know, just people in life. We're not. You, we may make a similar jump from one year to the next, so we may make a different jump.
1: The next year, so, so yeah, yeah, all and, that together, yeah, yeah, um, you know, started with the development thing. You know, especially when we're watching these guys just on film, I feel like sometimes there are times where we sort of lose the fa- lose sight of the fact that these are 2021, 20, 22 year old kids, yeah, you know, and we're you know, trying to project them forward into playing a game on the world's biggest stage for that game particularly with quarterbacks. Like, you know, when you're watching a guy that's playing in the FCS or a guy that's playing, you know, in the Sunbelt Conference, and then you try to project him to playing on Monday Night Football. Like, that's a big leap. And so you have to understand and you have to remember that not only is the game going to be tougher around them, but life is going to be tougher. You know, for you know, think about your big-time college athlete. Even if they're you know playing non- in a non-power-five conference, like for their entire lives they've been big guy on campus. They've been the big fish in the big pond or the swamp pond or whatever. Where, you know, from the time that they were ten, they probably knew that they were a little bit different and they were a little bit special when it came to playing the game of football. Mm-hmm. And now you're projecting them to go into a situation where they're you're up against the best best athletes in the world. You're going up against coaching staffs that get paid millions of dollars to do nothing but make you make mistakes come Sunday afternoon or Sunday night or Monday night. That's a big adjustment on the field. And off the field now suddenly you're seeing snow for the first time. You're in a new city and you have to handle things like you know paying the bills, paying the rent, paying the mortgage, paying your car insurance and things like that. It's a big adjustment. It's a life adjustment. And you know to the more central core of that, that piece that I wrote, you know, we're seeing it now Bill. With the early mock drafts, four or five quarterbacks are expected to come off the board in the first round. Right now you've got you know, obviously Darnold and Rosen and Josh Allen and people talking about Lamar Jackson, who again is a great college quarterback and should be a good NFL quarterback. And the study that I've done from him, I'm and I'm on the, the Lamar Jackson quarterback. Time, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, people are also looking like Mason Rudolph and Luke yeah. Hawk. And, you know, I, as I told you guys last time, look, my quarterback watch list right now is 35 names. I'm, I've got like two or three games on most of those guys already. Um, it is a deep class, but and here's the, but you can look back at early mock drafts from the past, like eight years or so and see that it rarely matches up with what we expect. Yeah the draft to look like when we're sitting here in May and projecting it to the next draft. Because in that piece, I went back and looked at some early walk drafts. And some quarterbacks that were talked about as surefire, you know, top five guys were like Landry Jones, mm-hmm. Tyler Bray, Tyler Wilson, um, even last year, Brad, Brad Kaya. Kaya yep. And, you know, he falls to the sixth round. And the reason for that is we expect these guys to take the same sort of developmental leaps from year to year to year. And this also happened with Watson. You know, people saw Watson, and this time last year, he was QB1, without a doubt, put it in, you know, Steph Davis, break out the Sharpie type of situation. But what really happened? He has a bit of a slow start. He throws some picks. Teams saw more of him on tape, so they knew a little bit more of what Compson was doing. They had to show him different looks to get him to make mistakes, but they could get him from time to time. He still goes on to win the national championship, but people started to look elsewhere because they were like, well... You know, we didn't see that sort of same little development that we expected him to make. We didn't see that same sort of leap. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to get into that same situation. Sam Darnold, great quarterback, quarterback, love him from the neck up, can make anticipation throws. He made a throw. Kyle Krabs actually wrote a piece about this recently. It's a great throw that he makes in a sort of cover two red zone situation where, you know, it's a third and seventh situation. They've got a three-point lead against Washington on the road. They've got a swing route from back out of the backfield. They're against, like I said, a zone that's playing a little bit soft. Maybe just take the swing route, get three points, extend the lead a little bit. But he makes a little nice little anticipation throwing, sort of like a stick-and-go concept from his wide receiver, from his tight end. You know, he's releasing the guys even with the linebackers, but he anticipates it well, puts it perfectly, makes an aggressive decision. Love that stuff. But what's probably going to happen is people are going to look at his mechanics. He has some wonky mechanics right now for sure. He's got almost a Tebow-esque delivery right now. People are going to start to nitpick that. If those don't get developed the way that people expect them to, you'll start to see them fall. And so my main point was like, look, go back to when you were 20, 21, 22. Did you develop the same from year to year? Did you make the same sort of developmental leaps? Did you advance in your profession or whether you were still in school, like, you know, from your junior year to your senior year in college or whatever time frame that was? No, you have ups and downs. Everybody does. We're humans. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we... You know, backslide a little bit or regress or whatever the situation is. These are humans, too, playing a game. It's a tough game. It's a complex position to play. Mm -hmm. Whether you're in a one-read simplified offense or the most pro style of systems, it's still a tough position to play because all the eyes and lights are on you. Sometimes you backslide. Sometimes you regress. Sometimes you don't develop the way people expect you to. Sometimes you don't develop the way you self-expect yourself to. And so the quarterback class that people are talking about right now, it has the potential to be great. But all I'm saying is, look, development is not linear. Some of these guys won't progress the way we're hoping or expect them to from this point until this point next year, up, in, up until the draft. Mm-hmm. So let's just pump the brakes a little bit. Certainly do the work. Certainly study these guys. I'm not saying don't do that. But just understand that get up once you get that baseline in, understand that some of them might not progress the same way. That doesn't mean they're not good quarterbacks. It just means that they didn't progress this year the way we might have wanted them to, and that's fine. As long as there's sort of that developmental arc, that upward trend, even if it's the tiniest bit, I'm sort of satisfied from that perspective.
0: It's kind of similar to what Shane Alexander tweeted through the other day um, about, said something like, players we think are good now won't be good, and players who aren't good now can turn out to be really good.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, We've got a snapshot of these guys right now, and we're all kind of expecting great things from the guys at the top. It may not pan out. It may pan out. We don't know, you know. Which is why when people started to talk about, and this is something that also happens every year, Bill, is that we get into April, and you start to hear the next quarterback class is better talk, and it happens basically every single year because you know people do the work on the current crop they start to expose the warts and the flaws and the things that these guys need to improve and then they see the next group that they haven't studied as much but they've seen the highlights of They've, they've seen the good things they've seen the highs and they start to say well maybe you know not we've done all the work on these guys not we've exposed all the flaws and really gone through these guys with a fine-tooth comb. Maybe it's wait for the next year. We see that every year. And and that's sort of the same sort of, you know, run that side-by-side to the, you know, the mock drafts of 2005 in May don't match up with what really happens in the draft in April of 2006. You see this sort of like dilemma right there, which is we always expect the next quarter black class to be great, but it never really matches up with what we expected them to be. You know, and and so when people start to say, "Oh, you know, the next quarterback class is better," teams can sort of, you know, you know, suck for luck or you know, stink for Sam or whatever you want to say, it doesn't always pan out that way. And you know, maybe it's because you know, maybe I'm a little bit more sensitive to this because as a card-carrying member of the quarterback union, I mean, former quarterback myself, like I gotta say good things about QBs. That's my job. Um, you know, I'll sit here and defend each class and defend these guys because there are guys that come through each class that can play quarterbacks in the NFL if given the chance. And, you know, people always seem to be ready to move on to the next group before really sort of understand what we've got in front of us. Um, I want to
0: talk a little bit now, like, about the quarterbacks that just got drafted a little more, um, you know, kind of outside the top four, though. Like, is there any any quarterbacks that were drafted or even undrafted quarterbacks um, that landed in the spot that you really liked and are you know, kind of curious to see how their situation
1: pan out. Yeah, uh, uh, there were a couple that I uh, liked in terms of sort of where they ended up um, outside that big four. I mean, I think Nathan Peterman to the Bills, I think is a great fit because, you know, they were sort of more of a downfield type passing system the past couple of years. Now they've in Denison, who's sort of a disciple of that Gary Kubiak, you know, West Coast-ish boot action-based offense. And I think when you look at what Peter was doing at Pittsburgh last year, Matt Cannon's offense, where, you know, there were a lot of complex stuff in terms of motion and shifting and things like that. When he was asked to throw the football, there were a lot of times when he was moved, where he was rolled out of the pocket, where he was put on boot action, um, given half field reads, you know, move in the pocket and things like that. And so I think from the Bills' perspective, what they're getting is a guy that can come in and might even be a better fit for the offense they're going to look to run than the guys that they've got in the room. Now, I love Card- uh, Cardale Jones. love him coming out because he has the potential to be a great quarterback in the NFL. I like Tyron Taylor. I'm in with him as well. But for Cardale, at least, you know, I look at him as a guy that runs – is a better fit for that Eric Coriel downfield-type system that they were running. Uh, the past couple of years, I'm not sure that he's the best sort of schematic fit for what they're going to look to do. Um, you know, so, so I was actually on the radio in Buffalo when the Bills made that pick and sort of off the cuff, I said, you know, uh, I wonder if this makes Cardale Jones sort of a, a trade option for them because you look at a team that we thought was probably going to address quarterback, the Arizona Cardinals. They really didn't do that. You know, now there's talk about blaming, blame Gabbard, but you know, two years ago, I was saying, you know, Bruce or last year, I was saying, you know, Bruce Arians, Cardale Jones, like that's the marriage of quarterback that needs to happen. Marriage of, you know, what a player can do and the traits that he shows and the scheme fit that he could end up in. So I wonder if that's still an option for Arizona if they call up Buffalo and say, look, what will it take for Cardale Jones? Um, but but Peterman's landing spot is one that I like. I'm intrigued by the Davis Webb in New York. Um, reason kind of being that, you know, Webb's a guy that. I wasn't fully in on that other people wore. He got a lot of that sort of late first-round talk. Um, but one thing that I did like is he threw the nine-ball round. I thought it was a good fit for sort of a downfield passing game. But there are things that he's going to have to fix, like footwork, like presence in the pocket and making throws under pressure. Now he comes to McAdoo, and McAdoo's sort of a stickler for that stuff, stickler for footwork, more of a West Coast-type guy. So it's an interesting sort of schematic fit, but when you see what they're doing around the quarterback position. You see that they, obviously they get Brandon Marshall. Uh, they have Odell Beckham Jr. in place. They have Sterling Shepard. So that gives you sort of your X, Z, and slot, like ideal guys for 11 personnel. Now you add an Evan Ingram um, to sort of be that wing, you know, maybe move tight end type guy, but a guy that can stretch the field vertically. Um, you know, if you're a defense and you see those guys come out at 11 personnel, like that's a tough thing to match up against. You can't go... Sort of cover two and expect to give, you know, safety help on each side of the field over Marshall and Beckham. Because if you do that, you are exposed in the middle of the field to Evan Ingram and a guy that can feast in the middle of the field against linebackers and you know, safeties and things like that. So I think it's a tough matchup, and you can almost see that they're getting the personnel to get more vertical. So you start to wonder: is this a look towards the future? You know, do they bring in Davis Webb? Do they start to look like a more vertical passing team with the expectation that? You know, Webb will be our next quarterback two or three years down the road. We might be a more vertical passing based offense as well. Um, So that's sort of a schematic thing that I'm looking for maybe two to three years from now. Um, The CJ Beathard pick was interesting at the time. Um, You know, I've got the NFL.com draft tracker up in front of me right now. And in terms of the grade, he was the lowest graded quarterback that they had that got drafted. Um, You know, Befford was a guy that. You know, I had sort of my, one of my mid to later tiers. I think it was maybe like be like 12 or 13 for me, but I had written back in March, like he's going to come off the board quicker than people expect. And part of the reason was you could see that there were things that he does, like patience in the pocket, making throws with anticipation, processing speed that you know that coaches are going to be interested in. My colleague Ted Wynn Um, at Raiders Analysis on Twitter, spoke very highly of Bethard when we were doing the quarterback work for the ITP draft guide. And when we were trying to narrow it down to just 10 quarterbacks, you know, he kind of banged the table for Bethard and said, look, this guy can play in the NFL if given the chance. And, you know, when Ted speaks highly of the quarterback, I pay attention. I listen because Ted knows what he's talking about. And, you know, so Bethard going to the 49ers, we expected they would address quarterback. It was an interesting decision, but you know, similar to what I was saying about people and how they evaluate the quarterback class, like, I think this gives us a window into what Kyle Shanahan sort of looks for at the quarterback position, what he's looking for is processing speed, and he said that, you know, after the draft pick, and that's something that Ted highlighted, um, you know, this is something that Bethard does well in terms of processing speed and getting through his reads, it's something that I saw on tape as well, um, so it was an interesting pick, but again, it, I think it gives us a window into what Shanahan wants at the quarterback position, and it you know gives us a sense of what he can do as a player right now. So, you know, out of the guys that got drafted, like those are some interesting ones. Obviously, Kaya fallen. you know, was a guy, like I said, my QB5, I uh, was a little bit disappointed to see him fall because you start to wonder, you know, am I alone on this guy? Am I alone on a limb? I mean, obviously, he had had his QB5 as well, so I felt a little bit better about it, but I think he ends up in a good spot with Detroit, and Yeah, obviously, their tight end coach was his former coach, so there's a relationship there. And I think that he comes in and pushes Jake Rudolph for that backup job, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him win it. Um, Guys that didn't get drafted, Jared Evans, uh, was a bit of a surprise. He was a guy that I was fairly high on, but... You know, I think he was my QB8, but I expected him to get drafted a bit more of a raw prospect, I think, but you know, liked some of the things that he did in the passing game, like his you know ability both in the short to intermediate area as well as down the field. I thought he was somewhat scheme diverse, um, and his ability to run multiple type of offensive schemes and concepts. Um, so seeing him fall to sort of the UDFA, UDFA status was a bit of a surprise, but you know, he'll, he'll get a chance in Philly. Um, what a surprise. Me at all to see make that team. And another guy that I was kind of interested in didn't get drafted was Seth Russell, um, the injury quarterback from Baylor. He had obviously the neck injury and then the ankle injury. So medicals were an issue there. But I thought, you know, when he was healthy, made some quick decisions in the passing game, liked his ability to throw the ball downfield, obviously thought he was a pretty good fit for you know, a lot of different offenses. And, and so it was a little bit surprising to see him go undrafted. Um, you know, obviously the medical issues and, and things like that. Or a bit of an issue, um, you know. But you know, now we'll see going forward. Um, he's got a you know midicamp invite for the Raiders. Uh, I haven't seen if you know he's stuck or if he's going to make that team, or if they're going to bring him back or not. But you know, that would be something to watch going forward.
0: And then we saw the last pick of the draft was Chad Kelly, and I know some people were saying that was likely just John Elway doing Jim Kelly in favor by going ahead and drafting Chad Kelly. Um, what were your initial thoughts there too when the Broncos took him?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one from this perspective that, you know, talking about other people in this industry that really know sort of the quarterback position who, whose opinions I trust. I mean, Matt Waldman had Chad Kelly as his QB two, And, you know, Matt was very open in his rookie scouting portfolio about that. He said, look, I don't get fired if he doesn't pan out. You know, I'm evaluating him from a purely on the field perspective. You know, it's not my, my job is to evaluate these guys from that perspective. I'm not drafting him. So I have the luxury of just being able to make a rank and walk away. But what Matt saw was what a lot of people sort of like in mahomes that sort of gunslinger ability that, you know, no fear attitude when you play in the quarterback position, which is important because it's a position you cannot play. If you're scared, if you're afraid of making a mistake, um, you know, part of the reason that I had hesitations about Kaiser, you know, why isn't he making this through? Why isn't he challenging that window? That read is open. That's the look you want against this coverage. Why isn't he pulling the trigger? We well, don't have those concerns with Chad Kelly. Um, Kelly's concerns were all off the field, um, you know, but something that I've talked about and something Matt talked about as well, um, you know, kind of after he and I talked about it, I, you know, fleshed it out with him. Um, you know, each summer I'm getting ready to do it again. I go through the um, coaching manuals that are, Published after the Nike Coaching Clinic, which is a you know a resource that I would highly recommend to people. Uh, whether you just learn about you know schematic stuff, whether you're doing evaluation, you want to know more about what these guys are being asked to do from a play call and schematic perspective. What it is is the Nike Coaching Clinic. Together, you know, college coaches um, from around the country, from big names like Nick Saban, um, you know, Derek Mason, um, David Shaw, down to one that I'm about to talk about, Hugh Freeze, and they give presentations on offensive concepts, defensive concepts, special teams concepts. Now they have these for also high school coaches as well. It's a great resource. Nike. I'll give you the URL in a second um, where you can get these. But you know what they do is the book basically is just a transcription of you know what the presentations were. And I'm on the website right now. The 2017 one just came out, so the second we hand up, I'm going to buy it. Um, but basically they put together, you know, you can read it. It's the entire presentation and you know, you can learn what these guys are doing. And what I learned from Hugh Freeze is from last year, he did a whole thing on their up temple packages. Um, and what he went into depth was, you know, Chad Kelly has severe ATD and in trying to get them to a point where he could truly run their offense. They had to, like, switch the terminology, make the terminology easier, so he would understand in their up tempo offense, you know, A, any play that began with A, for example, was a first-level read on, you know, a run-pass option on an RPO thing. B's were second-levels. C's were third-levels. So he could sort of get his mind wrapped around that. Now, obviously, that doesn't sort of excuse any of the off-the-field stuff, but it just gives it a bit of context. So, you know, from an on-the-field perspective, seeing Chad Kelly getting drafted did not surprise me at all. From an off-the-field perspective, Kelly was a guy similar to Beathard that I said. You know, he's a dark horse to come off the board um, earlier than people might expect because of the on-the-field talent. And when he does get drafted, if he does get drafted, I'd like to see it to a, you know, somewhat more stable organization from top to bottom that could, you know, get him into sort of an environment where, you know, he could have some stability around him just get him back in and get him focused on football. You know, and I mentioned, you know, organizations like Dallas or new England, and I think Denver fits that mold as well. And so I think he's got a good shot to stick around on that team. Um, you know, I know that there was that discussion, like you mentioned, Bill, between John Elway and Jim Kelly, um, with Jim, Chad's uncle sort of vouched for him. You know, I I think more than anything though, I I think that this was a, a look to the on the field ability that he has, um, and his ability to play the quarterback position. Like I said, um, that website is nikecoyfootball.net, all one word, nikecoyfootball.net. The 2017 Nike Coach of the Year Clinic Manual is up. They've done a little differently this year, but they've got 20 high school and 20 college lectures. So it's, you're going to get 40 pieces in here. Um, but you're going to get things like Matt Wool, the new Baylor coach, um, Ed Ogeron, um, the LSU coach. You're going to get Derek Ansley, who's Alabama's you know, defensive coach there, about their Rip Liz cover three, which is something that I can never – sort of understand Alabama runs on complex coverages, but I'm definitely gonna be reading that. Um you're gonna get Tom Herman at Texas, shotgun play action and quarterback runs. I mean, so you're gonna learn a ton of stuff from books like this. And this goes back to um I was talking about this with you guys when you did the last one. It goes back to nineteen ninety five. Um, you know, so you can go back to like two thousand and fifteen, you're getting, you know, Mark DeAntonio on playing defense. Um Hugh Freeze, like I just said, on offensive tempo. Um Derek Mason from Vanderbilt on defensive schemes. Um, Pat Nardozzi at Pittsburgh and cover four techniques on the four three. And so these are just great resources that you can get, and you can take the summer to like read up on what guys are doing. So when you start, whether it's writing about scheme stuff or studying these guys in the fall, you know, oh, you know, this is why Zach Cunningham from Vanderbilt is approaching these plays with a different sort of leverage perspective, whether you know based on the strength of the formation, it's because that's what he's being coached to do. Um, so it these are just great resources like i said the 2017 one's out now and i'm gonna like i said i'll be buying it the second we hand out
0: yeah and hey you know, this is something we talked about the last time through the different websites so i'm glad you brought that up and, like you mentioned this one you mentioned um football xos and yeah football, football
1: xos and, and that's one that you know similar to what i'm talking about here they've got you know, tons of playbooks out there that you can see for free. Now, they're not, you know, the most up-to-date, um, but it's stuff that these teams are still running. Like, in that Matt Lanahan piece that I was just talking about, I was using stuff from the playbooks that I got on there from New England's 2003 and 2004 offense. You know, because there's... New England's still running that stuff. um, You know, but you you can see, you know, in, in terms of, like, if you're interested in an NFL level, like, they've got, you know, the Panthers' 2005 offense with Dan Hedden. They've got... Bengals 1999 offense from Sam Weish. Um, Some stuff from Tom Landry in 1968. Um, But you play around on that website and you'll start to see stuff that tells you and just shows you how the game doesn't really change. It doesn't change a ton. And they've got a whole section on, on the West Coast offense. One of the things they have is Bill Walsh's quarterback manual for Stanford from 1985. And it's, you know, it's exhaustive. I mean, I'm trying to load it up right now. It's 232 pages on playing the quarterback position written by Bill Walsh. And you could just get lost in it. I mean, it has everything from identifying coverage to just playing the position in sort of like long-form prose and how to coach the position. Like, you know, I'm scanning through it right now. Like certain fundamentals that you've got to teach the quarterback. Um,
0: Quarterback has to
1: know his offense, know the nomenclature, know how to use the snap count um how vital the center snap is you know and it's got like handwritten notes in here it's just fascinating stuff and you know when we're in the summer and you know whether you're at the beach or at the pool or whatever have something like this out and just read about it because it's a fascinating game like you know more than anything part of the reason bill that i love doing what i do now is because football is just a fascinating game there is so much you can learn from it and I, I played the game started when I was nine I started playing quarterback when I was 10 I played it all the way through college I, I was you know when I was 11 years old I was making audibles and watching tape and breaking down tape on the weekends and I had the freedom to call audibles when I was 10 years old like you know I, I've lived this game and I've learned more about playing football and offensive schematics and defensive coverages and things like that in the past two years of writing about it that I did in the entirety of my career played and that's because there's just so many great resources like this out there so many great people doing work whether it's you know ian and his draft guide or the guys over at itp or matt Harmon, matt waldman so many other people like just doing great work or you know you having people on talking through this stuff and doing the work that you do bill it's just a great time to learn more about the game and so you know in addition to the work that i'll be doing this summer for itp and getting ready for next year i'm just going to be reading about the game um because it's a great game, and I learn so much every day coming in, you know, sitting down at my desk and just reading stuff about it or just watching different things and trying to learn something new each day.
0: Yeah, that's kind of, you know, that was like something else we talked about last time too that I was curious about, and I kind of sourced it out on Twitter a little bit too, just kind of how people divvy up studying college football, studying the NFL, like you said, the summer is like a really good time to catch up. with something I know that I want to eventually do at some point over the next couple of months. Is just kind of watch some of these teams, you know, get an idea how, how much I should watch to learn the different schemes and whatnot of all the teams, um, and then maybe go and start setting some of the prospects for next year's draft. I know you said you'll be focusing a lot on college because you'll be doing the SEC and the Big Ten, kind of running through all those teams. So but I guess, you know, just a sense of, you know, your, your thoughts on what people can do in the summer if, if they want to, like I said, start studying the teams, what they can go and do to learn more about them and get ready for the next season.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, you know, for me, No, I I mentioned that 2017 coaching manual that I'm going to be picking up. I would recommend that, and that's probably where I'll start my sort of college sort of study. I mean, you know, I'm going to be doing, again, quarterbacks for ITP and on draft guide. Um, You know, I'm different in the sense that I just focus on the one position. I'll study other stuff peripherally, you know, from time to time. Um, Like, I was a big fan of Evan Ingram and Jack Cunningham. Um, last draft cycle, but that really was just came out of the stuff I was doing from an SEC perspective and the studying I was doing there. Um, you know, but you yeah. know, from the quarterback perspective, like I said, I've got a list of thirty-five names, Bill, that I'm working through. I've got two to three games in on I think twenty-two of those guys already. I'm um, hoping to wrap up you know the rest of that group and really have a good baseline on all these guys probably by the you know certainly by the end of May. Um, and then you've got June and July and August, and what I'll be doing is, you know, last year I, did, I covered the SEC for Inside the Pylon, um, you know, from a week-to-week week sort of schematic perspective, and you know, I spent the rest of my summertime last year kind of watching tape on just those offenses, um, or defenses in the case of Zach Cunningham, getting a sense of what they were doing and writing sort of schematic previews um, from what people could expect those teams to do, and I think I hit every team but South Carolina, I just ran out of time. I don't know if I'm going to do in the Big Ten or the SEC or maybe even both, but that's where I'm going to be next is going through their tape just from a pure schematic perspective and just charting out, you know, what they do, what concepts they'd like to run, how they run them. Um, Try to then like go back to manuals or playbooks or whatever I can find to confirm that, you know, what I'm seeing is actually right. What I think I'm seeing is actually right. What, you know, these guys are doing out there matches up with, you know, some other evidence for that. And then writing some sort of conceptual, schematic sort of, looks at, you know, what people could expect from those offenses going forward. Uh, In terms of the NFL, you know, Ian and I both did that NFL 1000 project with Bleacher Report, which was, you know, uh, the first time we really did it that way, which was sort of an exhaustive look, week in and week out, multiple scouts at um, at the positions there. Myself and Marcus Mosher um, did wide receivers and tight ends. And, you know, so we basically got a ton of NFL work under our belts already. And so in terms of you know NFL work this summer. I don't have to do a ton because I've got games charted from you know every single game last season already, and so I don't really need to revisit too much of that. I might do some stuff um, looking at the quarterbacks if I have time, um, but that's really sort of a third tier priority. So that's you know, in addition to all the other like administrative stuff I've got to do over at ITP. But you know, the one thing about this industry is it's it's a year round thing now. Um, you know, football has become sort of a 24-7, 365 kind of industry where people are already doing the work on the 2018 class. Draft articles are already going up. I mean, Kyle Krabs had a good piece, like I said, on Sam Darnold. Jeff Risden had a good piece recently on the next quarterback class and sort of his initial takeaways from doing some study from them because people live this year-round. You know, fans live this year-round. Um, football has become a year-round endeavor, which is great for us that are trying to cover it and really making names for ourselves in this industry. But, it means that the work never really stops. Um, so, you know, summertime, yeah, you you know, you try to relax the best you can, but the work goes on, uh, the dream continues and the dream never dies. Great stuff, man. Uh,
0: I think we'll kind of wrap it up there. I think we got a lot of good info out. I think the listeners will, uh, will really enjoy kind of this sort of rehashing a little bit, but, um, Any any final thoughts you want to share, or anything
1: you want to plug, or anything on your mind? I mean, in terms of stuff to plug, I mean, I just really want to plug the website more, EthanInsideTheProblem dot com. You know, we're doing a ton of stuff over there. Um, You know, we had our first draft guide, and people loved it. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I I can I can tell you that we got a lot of good industry feedback um, from people inside the league um, telling us you know, that they picked it up, that they, you know, really thought that we kind of nailed a lot of stuff in there that we, you know, that we wrote about. You know, our scouting profiles were basically online with what their scouts themselves were, you know, were telling them about players. Um, we we'll got feedback from them soon. You know, some scouts and stuff that said, look, it was great work. I mean, these reports are really, you know, right in line with what we've been asked to do. So we tried to set it up like an NFL team would. I, I think we did a pretty good job putting it together. Um, we've already started planning out the next version of this, uh, we're going to have some news on that front pretty soon. Um, but it's not just going to be a guide. We're going to expand it and make it a year-round sort of thing. Um, so, you know, inside the you know, we've got our glossary and stuff like that up there. We're still cranking out articles now about looking back at, you know, <coughs> excuse me, last year's draft and the guys who got drafted as well as so looking ahead. Um, you know, the two uh, podcasts that we do, uh, Pylon with Jeff Fair and Shane Alexander definitely listen to what those two guys are doing because, you know, guys like Antonio Garcia, um, you know, Forrest Lamp, Solomon Thomas, you know, guys that you heard around draft time, guys that went in the top five, for example, guys that were talked about as being, you know, first-round prospects, that you didn't hear their names until, you know, October, November, December. Well, you would have heard their names back in August or so when these guys were, you know, doing their shows and um, telling you about, you know, names to watch for and games to watch and things like that because Jeffrey Shane watch a ton of college football, they know the game inside and out, you know, they cover both from a college football on the field perspective as well as having an eye towards the draft, and they do such a good job with it, so check that out, that's Pylon U, um, the other podcast we have is myself and Jeff and uh, John Ledyard, that has more of an NFL type perspective, but obviously the draft is always out there as well, um, so check that out, but yeah, inside check out the work we're doing over there, and um, stay tuned for some news sort of on how we're going to cover things going forward.
0: And I really need to dig into that glossary, too.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, people dig that. And, you know, you talk about Ted Hammond and the Scotland Academy. Like when we went, you know, a glossary kind of came out of the fact that when we started the website and started doing articles, we were finding ourselves trying to define so many terms in each article because football is very, you know, terminology-based, mm-hmm. you know, definition-based sort of sport. There's a lot of stuff you need to know if you want you know, or you can learn if you want to dive into it deeply. Um, so we found ourselves constantly having to define things like you know ten personnel cover three or you know switch verticals or hag concept or whatever it was. And we thought you know why don't we just collect these things and turn them into a glossary and people could just kind of come to that and learn about the game. And you know the second that glossary went up uh, two summers ago or so, you know I got a message from Dan Hammond, like within minutes and he was like this is great I, I want to help be a part of this because you know when you go through the scouting academy but like you have like you get put in front of you in one of the earlier days like football terminology and websites and definitions. And now, you know, Dan have been trying to like pull together like an exhaustive list of football definitions. And now, you know, he's helping us sort of build that out for the scout Academy and for people who just want to learn about the game. And so, yeah, the ITP glossary we're adding terms all the time. Um, you know, check that out as well.
0: Good stuff, man. Yeah. I'd love to print out every page if
1: I could. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about, you know, sort of turning it into book form. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for news on that. We might have something on that in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. A little teaser there. I like it. A little <laughs> teaser there for the people.
0: <laughs> Mark, uh, once again, I want to thank you so much for coming on and doing this all over again with me. Of course, buddy. More than happy to. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I think the listeners will really enjoy this. It was a lot of QB talk, so great stuff. And with that, I guess now that Gigi is officially – done for the summer. When we first did this, Ian said this would be the last show. Um, I know both of you have aren't sure what's going on with Bleach Report. Hopefully it all works out for you guys. Um, As far as this pod goes, you know, should be back come the summer around training camp, depending on what Ian does. Um, We'll have news later on in the summer, but for now I think we're going to Step away like we did last summer. Take a break and kind of get caught up. And should be back next summer, or next season, bigger and better, ready to go. So um, with that, we'll kind of wrap things up here for this season. Um, again, Ian, I want to thank him a lot for all the great work he did on the show and really kind of carrying me through. So I really owe him a lot of gratitude for for this show and making it as fun as it has been over the last couple of seasons and hopefully we'll be back for another season to keep this going um, yeah so with that for Mark I'm Bill Rossetti. thanks so much for listening guys and until next time we'll see you next, next season here on GG until then take care my friends